ever since the beginning of my practice, all those many, those 30, <laughs> 40 years ago, I've been interested in the, the question, which is I think the question that everyone has, that the Dalai Lama says that we all share, is that we all want to be happy and we all want to be free of suffering. That, that joins us. We are in a fellowship of beings who all want to be happy and free of suffering. So from the beginning I was very interested in well, what does that happy mean? What does it mean to be happy? And, uh, and then I, what really got me fired up, and many of you have heard about this before, is when I had the great good fortune of being a, a, a I don't know what you call it, a, a support. I was the support person or I don't know what's the right word for support person. Um, support person. I was the support person for the wonderful Indian master Anagarika Munindra who was the, for those of you who don't know the, some of the Dharma history, he was the main insight meditation teacher for Joseph Goldstein who spent six years with him. And Joseph, in my mind, is, I consider him the preeminent Western Dharma teacher. Anyway, Munindra was his teacher, and so I got to be his, I got to take care of him when he came to lead a retreat. And, and we hung out together, and, and what he, when he left, when we separated, when we said goodbye to each other, he looked at me very intently. He said, may you truly be happy. And so one, he was talking about happiness. Two, he said, may you truly be happy. <laughs> and so one, it struck me in my heart that I wasn't maybe truly happy. <laughs> that I was, I knew that I was, had good moods and had a general happy disposition, but I wasn't truly happy. So over the years, my radar has been out in all the teachings about what does that happy, what does happy mean? And then I look at the, the culture that we live in and I really do think that all these people vying to be the president or to stay elected or hate to bring that into the room tonight, but, but it's really in some ways to look at our whole culture and to preside over our whole culture, to live here, it's almost to be the president or the participant in an insane asylum. <laughs> the insane asylum is the completely distorted understanding of what truly, what makes one truly happy. And if you look at what most people associate their happiness with, this is something, of course, that the Buddha saw 2,500 years ago. So in some way, nothing new under the sun. But what we see is most people are associating their happiness with trying to maintain pleasant experience, to have new and different pleasant experience, and to avoid any unpleasant experience and keep the unpleasant at bay. And human beings are 
we all, one of the other things that we share is we all, in spite of, in whatever form our life takes, we all love ourselves. And so we're all, in our own way, in pursuit of what, in our loving way, in pursuit of what we think will actually bring us happiness. But almost to a person, until you've, until you've uh, realized what the, what the game is all about, to a person, we tend to associate true happiness with things and conditions that only lead to more dissatisfaction and unhappiness. And why is that? Because as we know, the world that if you were born into this world, you are born into a world of polarities. You were born into the world of, of success, the potential of success, but also the potential of failure. You're born into the world where there is pleasure, and you're born into the world where there's also pain, where there is the possibility of name and fame. I'm an author now. <laughs> I don't mean to, to belittle it, but... But there's also, I was warned there, and I encourage people, if you do happen to buy it in one of these online outlets, to give a, a review. But those reviews will be praise, there will be praise in them as there is in our life, and there will be lots of blame. There is like, there's praise, blame, there's fame, and there's shame. And these worldly winds that blow through every single person's life are constant reminders that to choose as your methodology for finding true happiness, choose those things that are dependent, that are unreliable, subject to change, that are dependent on circumstances being just the way you want them. That kind of happiness, that kind of well-being that depends on getting somewhere, accomplishing something, although it brings temporary gladness, pleasure, a feeling of relief, it is, it is a setup for being on an endless wheel of dissatisfaction and searching. So the point of our practice the point of what we do here, the point of true happiness, liberation, salvation, freedom, whatever you want to call it, forget the words, whatever that deepest yearning is, whatever that binds us all, that search for true happiness, that very happiness, the only happiness really worth that name, turns out to be, if we, if we wake up to it, it turns out to be the nature found to be the very nature of our own consciousness, the very nature of our own mind. That there is no path to true happiness. The path literally surrounds you in every instant. There's no way 
other than right than waking up right where you are. And what do we wake up to? What did the Buddha wake up to? The first thing he woke up to was the complete unreliability of most of what human beings, most of what people associate with their happiness with. He recognized that most of what people associate their happiness with is really a kind of um, bondage. We associate happiness with our body, our bo pleasure of our body. We associate our happiness with the glow of youth, but youth fades into aging. We associate our happiness with, with health, gives way to illness, with, um, with just being alive. And our life even gives way to, to death. So even this very body, with its ever-changing, aging, dying condition, from the moment we're born, what was it one person said, we're, from the moment we're born, we're sinking ships. I for some reason that makes me chuckle. But this cannot be, even though it is such a wonderful anchor for our senses and our attention, this holy body, this fathom-long body, not a reliable source of happiness, a source of insight, perhaps. So what the Buddhist people are associating with, with trying to you know, keep this body beautiful and happy and all of that, innocently. People associate their happiness with, with accomplishment and success. And of course there's pleasure in success. There's pleasure in getting what you want. There's pleasure in getting rid of the things you don't want. But at the end of that moment of pleasure, that moment of the ease and, and peace that comes when there's a cessation of something that's been bothering you, this is the nature of psychology. You work on something, you work through an issue, and what happens? Another issue comes. Self-improvement is endless. It's endless. And so if our well-being is dependent on getting through something or solving something, even though of course we want to do that if we're suffering, but if we if we think that whatever it is that we will do in terms of solving an issue or getting what we want or success or accomplishment, if you associate your ultimate ha true happiness with that, you will be unhappy because the pleasure of it has a very short shelf life. It fades away and in its wake there's a... Uh, is that all that was? I don't know if any of you follow the world of golf. I'm a closet golfer. Not really a closet, I mean, just love the game. I've had a passion for the game since I was tiny. But there was a fellow named David Duval, who about 15, maybe 
almost 20 years ago, was just on fire. He was, he was, the, he was the top dog in the insane asylum of golf. And he was winning everything and being just, just, just feeding on the, on the joy of it, the pleasure of it, and the recognition of it. But it, there was one prize, which was to be the world number one. And he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked. And finally, he became the world number one. And literally the very day that he became the world number one, experienced what it was like to be on the mountaintop. He complete, from that moment on, he fell completely out of bed. He saw that it was completely empty, unreliable, unsatisfactory, and he, he just fell, he lost the, he lost the drive, and, and he lost his game in the process. And of course he came back to it, but his relationship to it, after having seen the emptiness, the, that existential crash that came from having tethered all of his identity and well-being on that, on that unreliable and changing condition, he became, he became wise. And instead of, instead of putting his, his um, all of his effort and energy into that state of becoming, that state of obsessing about getting to the end of the rainbow, he started to smell the flowers, started to take in what is immediate and real, and he became very, and he, he became a family person, and, and his life simplified a lot. And it's so interesting about life simplifying a lot, the happiest person that I, meet, that I met today, without a doubt, of course I can't read how happy anybody is, you never know, you know, especially meditators, sometimes they look kind of depressed, but they can be really, really <laughs> joyful. But it, what appeared to me, who appeared to me to be the happiest person that I met today was a, a guy who was... Uh, a guy who's in the process of trying to be, uh, trying to move from homelessness into, into having some kind of housing. And he clearly looked, if there's a caricature of what a homeless person might look like, and I, you know, I don't want to, you know, make it too absolute, but this, he was carrying a, carrying a backpack and a lot of extra bags, but he was walking slowly up the street very carefully, very intently, stopping every inch along the, the buildings and along the fences of the church here and then the buildings across the street. And he, he was so mindful, so peaceful, so present, just very detailed. And I watched him walk up and then down the street. And finally, as he walked by my car, I was sitting in my car reflecting on what I might talk about tonight, and I opened my window and I said, I asked him, I, first I, when he walked by, I just had this very strong impulse to, to give him some support, give him some money. But I opened the window and I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, it's amazing, you find, I find all kinds of things. 
I, find, I found $6, I found jewelry, I, you know, and, but it was, his, it was his presence. He was just in the groove of the here and now. He wasn't, of course he had his aspirations, everybody does, he, wants to, he doesn't want to be homeless. And he's at some shelter that helps people. It's, I've, it's, it's, there's, there's one in this neighborhood. Does, does anybody know the name of Project Jet or something? Or something like that. But in spite, you know, whatever his aspiration, he was just in the groove of what he was doing. And it's so easy to miss the, the real, the immediate, while we're, our mind is focused on a, a carrot in some imagined future that when, it, when that future becomes a present moment, it often, uh, it, whatever it is that the aim is for, it's all of that life that's been lived in waiting, in hoping, in a state of, of suspended happiness suspended peace and immediacy. All of that, all that waiting, uh, all that life can easily be missed. So I looked at, you know, I, I, obviously I follow politics and I, I just see the frenzy at which the, the identity of the politician of the one who's seeking victory, how one, it, 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 they'll, they get so bound up in the story of me who's, the, who's going to, they're just oblivious to the, the fallout, the impact of what's, what, we're, what you can find when you stop. So, it's so that's why I said tonight when we sat down, how precious to to turn to just be in the vicinity of your salvation. I don't mean coming to Tuesday night. I mean just being aware. And then of course the environment of where just being aware and present is valued. Where it may be pointed to as the the source of true happiness. Because if you truly wake up to that source of real happiness, if you wake up to the unconditional well-being and happiness that lies as the very nature of your mind, then the conditions of praise and blame, of success and failure and all that cannot interrupt what you know to be the real source of your well-being. But very few people wake up. And even if you wake up for a minute, the tendency is to go to sleep because everybody else is telling you to go to sleep. Everybody else is saying, what we do in this insane asylum is go out of ourselves and search constantly and think that we will become happy. And we have to somehow, that's why we have to keep good company. Because we have to keep the company of people who are going to say, don't go out. Don't leave yourself. Don't, as Gendon Rinpoche says, don't go into the tangled jungle. 
looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own fireplace. Because you will just get into an endless, endless, endless samsara, endless searching, endless wandering. So if you reflected on where your mind has been today, what has been your focus? Has it been about what's next? Has it been about success? Has it been about being praised, being special, being recognized, being... If it has, you've gotten involved, you've gotten lost, caught in the, in the, uh, the story of the collective story, you're not alone, the collective story of the insane asylum, where the values are, you can't find it right here. You better get to work. But the, the Buddha basically saw, you can't find it in your body, you can't find it in your moods, you can't find it in your thoughts, they're always changing. He said, you can't even find it in a in beautiful states of meditation. You get the fragrance of what it's like to stop, what it's like to be present, what it's like to be awake. But, uh, but the state of mind that you enter into that is sublime and beautiful, it's also got a sh uh, maybe a little longer shelf life than other fleeting experiences like sex and other pleasures. But it's still, nevertheless, not even the best meditation states, not reliable as a source of true happiness. Very much in service of helping us be in the vicinity of where we can find true happiness. So the, but the, the happiness of a Buddha is the happiness of realizing the unconditioned the unconditioned nature of your mind and not and no longer incline your mind toward a happiness that depends on conditions no longer settling for partial happiness but instead experiencing the joy of letting go of the things that you're usually lost in, preoccupied with. It doesn't mean you stop trying to be a success or achieve things, but don't make your happiness dependent on it. Otherwise, you just, you're postponing. You don't have to postpone being happy. You don't have to postpone being happy one instant. It's the very nature of your mind. The very nature of your mind is unconditioned happiness. So just wake up to that. Because as Sri Nisargadatta says, as long as we believe that we need things to make us happy, we shall also believe that in their absence we must be miserable. 
our mind tends to shape itself according to its beliefs. So pleasure, that searching for that pleasurable feeling is in this way, it's, you recognize it, it's a distraction. It can be a distraction. For it merely increases the false conviction that one needs to have and do things and become things to be happy. When in reality, it's just the opposite. Real happiness, true happiness, is best expressed negatively as this, there is nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. After all, the purpose of practice is to reach a point where this conviction, instead of being verbal, of course verbal doesn't do it, is based on an actual ever-present experience. So which experience? The experience of being aware, empty, open, uncluttered, independent of memories and expectations. Where you're not, you're not ruffled by this whole political season. Where your well-being is not ruffled. Not that you wouldn't have feelings, you're heartful, but that you accommodate them and you rest you rest in the in Budo, in the one who knows. You rest in awareness and just see it as it is. This is just the insane asylum doing what people do in an insane asylum. They're constantly just like gerbils spinning. But you will be you will be quiet, be at peace, as you are in this instant. If you're not looking ahead and you're not looking back, you're just aware. So our practice just keeps reminding us to stay aware, stay in touch with the ever-present wakefulness and clarity. And then to, with that, aware, with that wakefulness and clarity, Kind of see things the way they are. Is what I'm, is what I am preoccupied with most of the time, is that going to bring me the happiness that I want? And if I believe that, that's, that's delusion. And so what we want to wake up from is our delusion. If greed and hatred and delusion are the cause of suffering, if you at all have some resonance with the teaching. Of course, you shouldn't adopt this as a belief, just, but see for yourself. But if greed and hatred and delusion are the poisons in our mind that cause us to suffer and be confused, then removing those poisons is the cause of true happiness. So we want to use this ever-present wakefulness and clarity to dispel our confusion. We want to see clearly and precisely what is that? What is happiness? What happens when I associate my happiness with that toke or with that drink or with that, that purchase? What actually happens? Follow it. Develop the, the vitaka vichara, the aiming and the sustaining of your attention long enough to see the, the behavior of what happens. So then it's not giving up anything, it's actually just letting go because you're, you're 
it's like a hot potato. Nobody has to tell you you shouldn't, shouldn't hold on to things that are unreliable. You just see. And when you see, your heart opens. This is why the insight is more important than beliefs. You shouldn't believe anything. See clearly. And try to have a sense of humor as, as I always get a chuckle out of Pablo Neruda's insight knowledge into the nature of life and death. He says, what, what we know comes to so little, what we presume is so much, what we learn so laborious, we can, ask, we can only ask questions and die. Better to save all our pride for the city of the dead and the day of the carrion. There, when the wind shifts through the hollows of your skull, it will show you all manner of enigmatical things, whispering truths in the void where your ears used to be. <laughs> or George Carlin, inevitably, he thinks that we're, you know, we're so busy becoming that, uh, that we have it all backwards and that we should, we should, um, we need to reverse, we need to do life in reverse. Says the most unfair thing about life is the way it ends. I mean, life is tough. It takes up a lot of your time. What do you get in the end? A death. What's that, a bonus? I think that the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first. Get it out of the way. Then live in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young, you get a gold watch, you go to work, you work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You do drugs, alcohol, you party, you get ready for high school. You go to grade school, you become a kid, you play, you have no responsibilities, you become a little baby, you go back into the womb, you spend your last nine months floating in spa-like conditions. <laughs> central heating, room service on tap. <laughs> and you finish off as an orgasm. <laughs> so it, we, need to take, we need to take the advice of Forrest Gump, who, whose insight knowledge spouted the word, some people like me are born idiots, but many more become stupider as they go along. <laughs> so we want, to, we want to remove the delusion from our mind and wake up. Wake up to the natural happiness of being conscious. And that consciousness, that conscious that deep, that innermost nature where there is, that is the home of unconditional happiness, a well-being that doesn't depend on conditions. So if you're looking for conditional happiness in Dharma practice, in meditation practice, you will be dissatisfied. You'll have lots of pleasure, but you'll be, have lots of disappointment because you're Grand experiences will give way to, to the dukkha 
experiences, the, the, the painful ones, the unreliable ones. And that goes for everything. Well, some Tuesday evening, your body will, you won't want to be here at all. And you'll be stuck here. For <laughs> you know, just some condi the conditions are not reliable. So the, the Buddha's recommendation is that you aim for this highest happiness, the happiness of freedom. And notice how if you aim for the highest happiness, that all the other kinds of pleasure, all the other kinds of joy that can arise in a person's life will come in the wake of that. But it will not be your ultimate medicine. It will not be your, your um, ultimate freedom. You'll understand, as Suzuki Roshi put it, renunciation isn't giving up the things of the world, but in understanding that they fade away. They are unreliable. So as it's been sung about by, who was it, Randy, Mc, or uh, what's his name? McFerrin, what's his name? Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. Be happy, but be truly happy. So let's sit quietly. And So notice that happiness is not found through great effort and willpower, as Gendon Rinpoche says, but it's already present in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do or to undo to realize this. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it, like a dog chasing its own tail. Although happiness is not a thing or a place, it follows you every instant. Or as Sogil Rinpoche says, rest in natural great peace and freedom. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind that is beaten helpless by karma and neurotic searching or neurotic thought. Like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. Be free, be happy. And since we don't exist alone apart from each other, we, we spread our happiness, our presence. We offer it to all beings everywhere with a deep wish that everyone can be happy, truly happy, and know the causes of happiness and that everyone can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, that everybody can recognize 
this unconditional happiness and well-being and that everyone can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the worldly winds with less reactivity. And a sincere dedication of our life, our work, and our practice to the welfare and benefit of all beings everywhere, without exception, even the politicians. May all beings be liberated. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your presence, all that, and be happy. Thank you. Be happy. Don't become happy. Be happy. Don't go. Oh, I'm so happy to see so you. It's just one moment. Yeah, likewise. So I was thinking I'd love to come like meet with you just to catch up. And yeah, you know, after you know, I did, I did really just do a little check-in. Yeah. I ended up doing the Chazwa retreat with Stephen um, Smith and Michelle McDonald. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.